say um, that it was, it's really, really hard for me to leave. And, and um, the first reason is I just, I love my family, man, and just missing the riffraff, you know, and, and the, the little scurry of my boy Dawson now, who is an absolute wild man. Uh, if, you could have, if you could picture me in an 11-month-old, he is the epitome of it. And uh, missing Avery and, and my wife, of course. And, um, but the other thing is, it's, it's just tough being away. Um, and I hope you hear this, not cliche, but just really have a tremendous amount of love for you all. And uh, when I'm not able to be here with you, it, 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 um, it, it just, it's, it's just no fun. I mean, I, I sat in Times Square in one of the, you know, the coolest places, uh, you know, in the world, just thinking, man, I wish I was back home with, with the crew. And uh, I hope that tonight, um, as we dig into some interesting stuff, that you're able to hear it from that caring pastor heart. Um, there will be some tough moments tonight for each of us. And so I pray that as we dive into this um, debated, heated topic at times even, that you hear uh, my heart uh, has a tremendous amount of love and care for you. And uh, I texted Jeff and Matt last Wednesday just saying, you know, it's, it's, it's good to get away and refreshing, but, um, but I, miss, I miss my family, you know. And so um, it's with that care that we dig in tonight. So I hope you guys are ready to go. Each of us um, tonight fit into three categories. The, uh, the marrieds, the datings, and the singles. And uh, I could really uh, ruffle the feathers if I gave some shout-outs based upon which category you're in, right? Because some of you may be sitting next to someone who the relationship isn't quite defined yet. And so they would, like, give a shout-out for dating, and you're still single, and it's like, what is going on here, right? Uh, that would be interesting. Maybe we should just do it anyway, just for the fun. I'm all about awkward situations. Um, and not just are we in three different categories, but the health of those categories is all over the place. There's some uh, marriages here who are very strong, uh, seeking Christ. Their roles are clearly defined, and they're seeking after them. There's other marriages here who are, who are in complete survival mode. And uh, you guys know the statistics. Um, just in the church in America, the divorce rate is um, nearly as high, if not higher, uh, than those who don't believe. Uh, in the dating relationships uh, that are represented here, there are some that are very sexually driven. Uh, it's all about uh, self, feeding self, and, and growing uh, one's self-perception by the other. Uh, and then there's other dating relationships here who are pursuing Christ in such a powerful way that they're experiencing uh, a tremendous amount of the grace of God just within the relationship. And you'll notice that I didn't put those two things together. Um, I think some of you who are in dating relationships think that your relationship can be sexually charged and seeking Christ simultaneously. That's not how it works. And I think that you may um, have convinced yourself that it can work that way. Uh, we just keep asking for forgiveness every night that we're together. And I'm not saying that his grace isn't, su- isn't sufficient because it clearly is. I'm just saying that those two things are diluted, uh, that they're separated, okay? You pursue Christ and the sexual charge goes down. So health-wise, we're all over the place. And then some of you singles find yourself in a, a very uh, comforted place in your singleness. Some of you are completely content. Uh, though you desire a mate, it's in a very healthy way. And uh, you find yourself tonight, you're just like, God will bring it in his time. There's others of you uh, who are um, essentially manipulating your singleness and using it uh, for your own depression, for your own uh, satisfaction then strangely through that depression. And you've actually found your identity, even though it doesn't seem, it, uh, doesn't, even though it doesn't seem like that, in that uh, depression. We need help, don't we? We need a tremendous amount of help. And literally, we, we chose to study First Peter for a year 
uh, one of the reasons was so that we could teach these seven verses in chapter 3. And so we're finally here, and so my heart's really full, but, uh, but we need help, okay? And, and I, my marriage needs help, and I would imagine your marriage or your dating relationship or your singleness needs a tremendous amount of help. And that being said, I want to ask you a question tonight, and, and the reason why I begin with this question is I want our hearts to be um, able to evaluate tonight. In other words, when you're dealing with subjects like this that, that will seem attacking of your position, it's easy to get defensive, isn't it? It's easy to end up, end up, put, up put up the guards and, Mark, you don't know me. Well, I really believe as long as we stick to the Scripture tonight that, that we're, you know, as long as we don't deviate from the Word, that it's not my voice but the voice of God speaking, right? So, so we're, we need to ask questions of one another tonight so that we can evaluate our heart um, and, and not throw up the defensive blocks. So the question I ask is this. All of you in your minds, you have this, this photograph of what relationships should look like. You have a snapshot, okay? And some of you already are, you, you picture that picture. My question is, what is that built on for you? What is the primary driving force of that picture that you have of what a relationship should look like? What is it for you? I'll, uh, I'll share maybe four possible uh, answers to that, and you see where you fall into that. Um, the first is culture. Okay, for some of you, your picture of relationships is completely driven uh, by, the, by the culture that we live in. It's very difficult for our picture of relationships to not be driven by that, since we live so closely to the flesh all the time. For others of you, it's a, it's a previous experience, good or bad, right? Uh, if we were to be honest, many of us have a tremendous amount of baggage just from our dating experience, let alone marriage or anything else. The damage that was done to our hearts, the damage that we did to others' hearts. So maybe for you, that picture drums up all of this past or all this history. Uh, thirdly, uh, maybe it's a relationship that you've watched. Your parents, your grandparents, a relationship here that seems strong. That's your picture. Uh, lastly, hopefully not leastly, not sure if that's a word, uh, is, this, is the scripture. So four possible answers. Do you guys remember uh, the goulash days back in uh, cafeteria world? Picture that with me. Uh, when you watch the cafeteria, uh, the uh, lunch lady make lunch lady land, any fans here, right? When, when you watch the lunch lady with the hairnet and, the, you know, when you watch her uh, make uh, goulash, uh, there's no dominant ingredient. In fact, when you're eating it, you can't taste anything except a bunch of nastiness, you know what I'm saying? So I fear that in our picture of relationships, it's four ingredients that have been tossed into a bucket, and it's a, it's a mixture of all four of those, and there's no dominant ingredient. In other words, so it's a little bit of culture, it's a little bit of previous experience, it's a little bit of other relationships that we've seen, and it's a little bit of the scripture. I think we could agree that that's not a good place to be. The dominating flavor, the dominating uh, picture has to be the scripture. But because of our baggage, because of the damage that's been done to our hearts, because of what we've perceived as a good relationship, we escalate all of those ingredients, if you will, Instead of saying, no, no, what does the scripture have to say about marriages and dating and singleness? What does the word have to say about my biblical role? And then let's elevate that and let's let all of these other things, which are reality, sit where they should and where they may. Are you with me? So this journey for the next three weeks, as we uh, begin tonight with part one, part two, and three, creatively named, coming the next uh, second and third weeks after this, is going to be completely focused on a marriage, dating, and singleness the concept of relationships right from 1 Peter. What we're going to do, though, is we're not going to focus on culture, previous relationships, or even our experiences. We're going to study the Word of God, 
and let the word of God implicate our hearts, okay? We're going to let the word of God sift out our hearts. We're going to let the word of God challenge our hearts. We're going to let the word of God convict our hearts in the hopes, listen, that we walk out of here as women on mission, as men on mission, and then eventually relationships on mission. Are you with me? Because even though I've been married to my wife for eight years, my spiritual existence with Christ is not me and Heidi and the Lord simultaneously. It's me and Jesus first, Heidi and Jesus first, and then all of us together in this union. You see what I'm saying? It's my closet time, it's Heidi's closet time, and then it's our closet time. So I hope that you're ready to evaluate your heart, to let the spirit sift, and I'm going to pray for that now, and then we'll get going. You with me? I think you're scared. God, I pray, uh, I pray, God, tonight that as we dive into this uh, very difficult topic um, uh, for some, (laughs) very solid for others, that right now that you would put us not on our heels, um, but God, rather on our toes, excited and anxious to hear what you would have, um, to hear what you would share through your word. So I pray, God, that you'll take my voice out of this and that you'll just teach your word tonight strongly. In your awesome name, amen. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 with me if you could. There are page numbers on your screen. There's a Bible in front of you if you haven't brought yours. We're going to start with the first two verses tonight, get all the way through two verses. Uh, It will take us a while. Um, We have a lot of things to develop. So when you're there, say, I'm there, and we need to get going. Pretty solid so far, all you Bible scholars. Verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 1, rather. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Um, Last year, I married 12 couples, uh, many of uh, which are here in this room. I'm getting ready to have marriage counseling tonight after the service and have a, a wedding this weekend. I do a tremendous amount of marital counseling. And without fail, this word submissive is one of the most talked about one of the most dealt with, one of the most difficult, it seems, uh, issues to deal with in, mar- in marital counseling. And the reason is both, both the, the soon-to-be husband and the soon-to-be wife come into the conversation with a tremendous amount of assumptions. They've assumed that this is what sub- uh, submission means. They assume that this is the details of it all. And so they, they come in with all of these assumptions. And so very first, we just have to work through all these assumptions. Get the baggage out of your mind. I know when you hear submissive, you instantly think of all those things. Let's study the word, okay? So before we get going, just, just to admit, this is a hot topic, okay? Because many of you females, you just hear the word submissive, and it makes you throw up in your mouth instantaneously. I hope, I hope that by the end of tonight, the end of tonight, you females are ready to own the role that you cherish the role. Are you with me? But before we get going into all of the submission, let's begin with the word likewise. Anyone else, you notice that word? Well, what's, what's the significance of likewise? Uh, I'm not a um, mathematician, but likewise means like something else, okay? And so the like something else is what? It's like what he's previously been talking about. Well, what has he previously been talking about? Verse 13 of chapter two was what? Submit to every human institution. It was the, we taught that scripture the night that Obama, President Obama, came to town. The teaching is, no matter if the government's corrupt, we still submit. Very difficult to do. Very, you know, we struggle with that. 
but we're called biblically to do it. It's not a suggestion. Hey, maybe you should submit to the government. It's a command. Then in verse 18, we saw the, the, the teaching escalate to what? Servants, submit to your masters. In other words, for us, employers, submit to the employees. Submit to your employees, even if they seem corrupt, even if they seem bunk, even if they, you don't agree with everything. Verse 21, then, he brings the person of Christ to focus, and he says, likewise, suffer unjustly like Jesus. So when you submit to the government, when you submit to even wrongful employers, guess what? You're going to suffer unjustly. But all you're doing is following the person of Christ. Now, in the First Peter context, when we hear wives be submissive to your own husbands, uh, I think we just pull that verse out. And we just want to look at that one verse. And it's like blinking, you know, with all these kind of colorful lights. But do you understand the context now? This is, uh, maybe you didn't know this, but the biblical writers didn't add numbers when they were writing. They weren't like verse 21 and then verse 22. Oh, chapter 3, you know. No, that, that, those were added later. So the biblical writers just wrote continuous, complete thoughts. This is a continuous, complete thought. Submit to the government even when it doesn't make sense. Submit uh, as a servant to a master, employer to an employee when it doesn't make sense. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Interesting. Now, I believe that we need to understand this passage to build the doctrine of submission. I think we need to search the scriptures to understand this word submission and build the doctrine or build the biblical idea of what submission is, okay? But before we do that, I want to say one note about who who Peter's writing to. Did you notice what the scripture says? Let's look at it again. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Who is Peter writing to? He's writing to wives who have come to Christ and are living underneath unbelieving husbands. The implications of wives being submissive to unbelieving husbands? Do you know what that means then for Wives being submissive to believing husbands. Do you see now the progression of the teaching? It doesn't make sense. An unbelieving wife being submissive to an unbelieving husband? This is crazy. It's even crazier if you understand the culture. Plutarch, have you ever read any Plutarch? Ancient uh, writer, wrote in the the mid-hundreds. I haven't read much of him. Actually, just this quote, to be honest. Um, But he said... uh, He said that it was incredibly out of the ordinary for a woman to take a different religion than her husband. In fact, he writes that that the woman just took the, the, the religion of the husband. It was part of the deal. So Peter is writing to some in this culture who are walking away from their husband and who have found Christ. He's not downgrading the fact that they found Jesus. Oh, go back to the pagan ways. No. He's just saying that even though it doesn't make sense, you need to be submissive to your unbelieving husband. We're going to deal with that here in a little while. Back to the doctrine of submission. So you're like, well, well, why are we going to build the doctrine of submission if the context is believing and unbelieving marital relationships? This isn't a shotgun teaching for Peter. There are three other places in the New Testament where this phrase is seen exactly. So Peter writes this 
having direct implications on believing women sitting under unbelieving men, but it has tremendous then implications on believing women sitting under believing men. Are you with me? So let's step back and let's build the biblical doctrine of marital submission. The first question we have to answer is this. Where does it begin? Well, it begins in the Garden of Eden, right? God makes man from dust, the scripture says, which makes a lot of sense sometimes, right? I feel like our substance is but dust, right? And then God, in one of the most amazing moments of the scripture, looks at Adam. He's like, that's not good for you to be alone. Like, you're going to, re- yeah, this, we need to do something else here, right? So, so he says, I need to, I need to make a, a suitable, what's the word he uses? Helper for you. Can men just amen to this moment in Scripture? This is a profound moment in the Word of God, right? You're not going to be good by yourself. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reach in, grab a rib. We're going to make a woman. Whoa, man, this is going to be awesome, right? Right? This is incredible. This is an incredible moment of Scripture. At the end of chapter 2 in Genesis, what happens? The Scripture says the two will leave their parents. They'll become one flesh. And Adam and Eve consecrate the marriage physically. We see the first wedding ceremony. We see God walk Eve figuratively down the aisle, hand her to Adam, and the two get married, and then they consecrate the marriage physically. It's beautiful, it's great, and then chapter 3 happens. Okay? They're tempted to what? To not trust God. Did God really say, I don't think so, the snake says. So Eve and Adam, they stop trusting in God, and they start believing to their own vices that they can be as God is, and then what happens? Sin comes into the world. Because of sin, God curses man. Romans says that because one man sinned, all have sinned. But because one man and woman sit under the curse, all men and women sit under the curse as we await the day for Jesus to come back. Amen? So what's the curse? Well, dudes, your curse is that you'll be tied to your work, essentially. That's why many of you guys just, you love Work, it gives you identity and purpose. You can't wait to wake up in the morning. You can't wait to stay late. You can't wait to just sit in your, whatever it is. That's, that's part of the curse. You'll be tied to your work. Provide for your family. Now, it's not a bad thing, and don't hear me saying that work is bad. I think we have too many boys in our culture that don't enjoy working. We have too many young men that think that you can get by by working a part-time, whatever kind of job, and that you're going to provide for a family that way. Um, no, that's, that, that's not the case at all. I love seeing uh, men, and there's even some men in here who have gone, uh, gone through a hard time, who have lost their job because of a, t- a tough cultural position, and these men were the same men that were working diligently to find work and to provide for their family. I love those kind of men. And so work. For you females, guess what? Childbearing and pain, right? Had a little bit of that today in Matthias. Rowan Short was born today, Justin and Becca's uh, daughter, at 4.04 this afternoon. Went in at uh, 10 or so, had the baby at 4. Most women, that's not a lot of pain. Like Yahtzee, you know what I'm saying? Six hours of labor. How many of you women can beat six hours of labor? Okay, one. Liz, the rest of you can't remember. You were on so much drugs, right? It's fine, it's all good. So pain and childbearing, but what else? Pain and childbearing, and you will, be, uh, you will have a desire, the scripture says, for your husband. That's not all bad. But you will be cursed with sitting underneath his rule. Now, some of you women hear the word rule. Look it up in, the, look it up in Genesis 3. It's there, Genesis 3.16 to be exact. The word rule is there. I know some of you hear that word. You're like, so does that mean he wears a crown and I sit, you know, like what, what's that rule mean? Well, I think as we answer question number two, all of those things are going to be clear. So question number two 
is what happens to the marital roles under the new covenant. So because of the curse in the Old Testament, husband's going to be tied to your work. Wives, you're going to be tied to childbearing and pain. You're going to sit under the rule of the, hus- of the husband. But what happens then to those marital roles in the new covenant or Jesus and after? It's key, okay? Well, there's several verses that give us an indication. You guys want to look at some of these. Let's do it. Put up uh, the Galatians uh, verse for me. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Uh, females rightfully love this verse, and you should. All right? There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. The biggest, the biggest uh, thing that I hear about submission is, oh, so you're saying that we're not equal then. You're, and, 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 in a, and the feminists in culture, not the feminists in the Christian church, because there's those too, but the feminists in the culture, they hate the concept of submission because they think it's an equality issue. Clearly, it's not an equality issue. Those that think it's an equality issue think that God looks down on the males and says, grace first, uh, to the males. Even though that's probably true most of the time, that we need it the most. Amen, fellas? Okay? But, but that's not the way it works. Under grace, male and female, equality. Are we good? Are you guys happy with that? Okay? So we're not talking about equal or not equal. Okay, we're talking about something else, but I want to make sure you understand that. Under the grace of Christ, all are equally opportunistic to God's great, sufficient grace. However, not a but, however. Did your English teacher teach you to say that? Don't say but. It sounds more intimidating. Say however. However, 1 Corinthians. But I want you to understand, and quickly here, Paul's uh, teaching a cultural issue actually about head coverings, but this is an important verse within all that. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So the head of man is Christ, the head of a woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Okay, humans aside, let's talk Trinity. This language is pretty powerful, isn't it? The head of Christ is God. Over and over and over in the Gospels, what do we see Jesus doing? He's talking to the Father as if there is some sort of authority rank. You'll notice what Jesus says after he was risen from the dead. What? All authority has been given to me. But through the Gospels, he's communicating with the Father like there's some sort of authority structure. They're equal clearly. Why? In John 17, Jesus says, we are one. The Father and I and the Spirit were one. But there is an authority structure, a responsibility structure, a differing of roles. The Father, God, Jesus, and the Spirit play. It's the mystery of the Trinity. They're somehow all still one, three in one, but they all have differing roles. Similarly, in the marriage home, we're not talking about an equality issue. We're talking about a responsibility issue. We're talking about a role issue. We're talking even at times about an authority issue. Do you guys understand? It's the same way, excuse me, not quite the same way as the Trinity, but in the same concept, it's the same that we see in the Father and the Son. So the husband is the head of the woman in the marital relationship, even though the two under grace are equal. Now, all this has tremendous implications, which we'll get to here in a second. Uh, Next uh, scripture. So then there's three other places that we see this same concept. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I think what some uh, women forget 
is every time that this passage is quoted, uh, which, is, uh, which we're going to look at every single one of them here, it always says, to your own husband. To your husband. Some women uh, think that, that the submission thing uh, is required to all men. No. In the church, there is a certain uh, submission to the church leaders as males are called to be the biblical elders of church communities. Another teaching. We'll teach on it sometime soon. All right? But in this context, it's to your own husbands. Next scripture says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord in Colossians 3. And the final one is in Titus 2, and I'll summarize for you. Titus 2, verses 3 to 5, the concept is older women teaching younger women what it looks like to submit, to love their households, and to love their husbands. So, can we agree that there is a consistent theme to the Scriptures that, call, that calls women to sit underneath the leadership of their husbands in the marriage relationship. This is not a bad thing. This is a cherished thing. Let me ask you this question. When in the scripture have you looked at certain roles and gotten angry? When uh, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, or he calls his disciples disciples, was it something that they looked at and thought, I'm a disciple, this is horrible. You know what I'm saying? Or a pastor who was called. This is the worst calling I could have ever been. No. The roles that Christ gives are to be blessings. Same with this. But if you're like me, there's still a pretty important question within all this, and that's question number three. What what does it mean? (laughs) Okay. I get all the rhetoric, you know? Like, this has been kind of the biblical doctrine of submission. I see it. Begins in the garden still present under the new covenant. But what does it mean? What, what am I supposed to do, right? Well, I want to get there, but I think the biggest understanding of the word submission comes from the Greek context. Everyone say, hupatasso. Okay, the next time you're having a conversation as a marital relationship, uh, just, you know, instead of saying submission, just say hupatasso, and it will come with more authority and gumption, okay? Hupatasso um, implies this. It implies following and yielding simultaneously. I follow and I yield. So let me show you then what that means for submission. The first thing is this. It is following, not being dragged. Okay? To submit is to follow, not being dragged. What I mean is this, and this will, I hope, give you some context. Uh, and don't picture like grabbing the hair, okay? I'm not, I don't want you to get that mentality like we're going back to caveman style, okay? I'm just saying following someone is not kicking and screaming. Uh, when we wanted to plant a church, uh, Matthias here, my wife and I are very different people. Any, any of you guys very different from your spouse, okay? Yeah. Uh, m- in most cases, you're complete opposite. And, and my wife and I, that's certainly the case in many aspects. Uh, I am very uh, not practical, she is very, 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 very practical. Um, my, uh, my love language is a words of affirmation and physical touch, like most males are. And uh, my wife's first eight love languages is quality time, okay? I could be, uh, I could be home uh, for 30 nights of the month, and on the 31st night, if I say I have a meeting, she would say, you haven't been home all month. You know, that's just kind of the way that we're wired differently, both not wrong, just we're wired differently. And so when we wanted to plant a church, some of you have heard this story, come home and I'm like, Heidi, I feel like God's calling us to plant a church. 
And I don't know if you've ever received the look that said, um, we will never have this conversation again, but that was the look. Picture it. That was the look. I was a 24-year-old crazy man, um, and um, I, was, I was dead set that we, that's what we were supposed to do. But I came in, and I thought that leading my wife at that point was just uh, telling her what it, like, just telling her what to do. We're supposed to plant a church. And uh, for nine months, um, that's how the conversation went. In fact, uh, guys, you sometimes use the strategy. You're like, well, I'll try the not bring it up for a while, and we'll see what happens, you know? So you kind of wait for an awesome time, you know? You're like, hey, honey, what are you doing tonight? You want to go out? You know, we'll have a date. We didn't have kids then. That's when we could still get out, which was awesome uh, in its own right. Kids are amazing too, but you know what I'm saying. Um, you want to go out, and so you go out, and things are great, you know, and you're eating the chips at Chevy's, and you're like, hey, that whole church planning conversation, remember that? You know, and then when you still get the look, you're a little bit frustrated. Um, but the whole time I was struggling with how to lead Heidi, really felt like we were called to plant a church. And at that point, if I were to bring her along, it, she would have gone just because she had to, but it would have been kicking and screaming. And so finally, I went to Seattle with Jason. And um, On the way home, on the plane, uh, one of the things I've learned is that you don't mess with God on planes. You can write that if you're taking notes. But um, just had this overwhelming sense that I had been leading Heidi poorly. Uh, we had been trying to, or had been talking about starting a family. And I kept telling Heidi that, uh, hey, God's going to provide for this church plant. We need, we need not worry. And then when we were talking about starting a family. I would say, hey, we, we need to hold off on starting the family because, look, finances will be tough. Except. So on the plane, God was like, hey, um, hey, why don't you stop communicating a double standard and lead your wife? And so sitting there in the plane, I still remember feeling like I was punched in the gut. And, and so I... Um, I came home, and some may think it was brilliant strategy, but it really was a God thing. As I, I came home and I apologized and said, babe, I haven't been leading you spiritually. There's been no leadership on my part at all. If God can provide for a church plant, he can provide for a family. And my wife said, let's plant a church. Just like that. Now, there were many moments, um, you know, that I, I was frustrated, but... I would have been wrongly dragging her because I was poorly leading her. That being said, I want to say this. Listen to this, women. Submission is not like parole. You don't reward your men with good behavior when it comes to submission. Are you with me? I think a lot of women think that submission is like good behavior with parole. You've been good for three months. I'll submit to the next three decisions until you behave poorly again, and then I'll stop submitting. The, the command is the same. It's to submit. While the men, yes, are called to lead well, and we'll get to that later, but I want you to understand that. Just because your man isn't leading well, it doesn't negate submission. Now, clearly, just like submitting to the government or submitting to the employers, we don't submit if it goes against the Scripture. Are you with me? If it will cause us to sin, we do not submit, women. But in, in Peter's context, he's writing to women following unbelieving men. So clearly it wasn't based upon good behavior because these guys are running around rampant. So the first thing we need to understand is women to follow your man is to follow them. It's not to be dragged along kicking and screaming. That being said, it's also this. It is yielding not without wrestling. And I, I mean wrestling with words there, right? Like some of you got some interesting pictures there in your mind. 
So you, like when you're over a decision, you like, you know, WWE style? You know, that's not what I'm talking about at all. This is completely different. Because I, I think some women think or some men uh, lord over their females wrongly and say that you need to be quiet. You don't have a voice in this. That's not the case. Submission is yielding. If you think of it in the terms of a car, you're driving along and then at some point you pause. Okay, some of you longer than others while you're driving, right? But you, you pause and then you let something else happen. There is wrestling. Trust me, Heidi and I have done a lot, a lot of wrestling. Three years ago, I wanted to move down to St. Charles. I felt like, I felt like, this is where we needed to be. I was pastoring this church here in St. Charles. I needed to be going to Midtown IGA. Have you been there? It's amazing. I needed to be washing my car. The car washes here. That's right. I use the power washer. I don't use a hose in my house, right? I, I needed to be seeing the people here in St. Charles. Heidi did not want to go. I mean, she, we had some of our, the most, and, and by the way, I've asked her to share both of these things, all right? One kind of makes, you know, reveals my sin and the other hers. We've both dealt with these things. But she did not want to, I mean, we fought. I looked in 20 houses here in St. Charles before she looked at one. And then we put a contract on a house and she said, no, we need to back out. And so we backed out, and it was horrible. And this whole time, it was just friction, 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 friction. And both with planning the church, and then ultimately with her moving down here to St. Charles, and now being as obsessed with it as I am, she loves it, we get to this place where we see, and Heidi would admit, the beauty of submission. In both of these cases, even though they both involved wrestling and discussion and talking, Heidi would admit in the St. Charles case, she wrestled too much. She didn't yield quick enough. And so your question should be, well, how do you know? How do you know when to yield? How do you know when to wrestle? How do you know when to speak up? How do you know when just to follow? How do you know? You know by your closet time, period. You know by you and Jesus you seeking the Lord and the discernment that comes with that. If you think that somehow you can have a strong, discerning, marital role, balanced relationship and both of you aren't seeking the Lord and then you're not seeking the Lord together, are you kidding me? Every little, rela- every little decision, she would paint that wall gray. Six months of fighting, you know, over some stupid wall. You've seen it in your marriage if you're married. These little things become huge mountains, and it's most often when neither of you are seeking the Lord, and you're especially not seeking the Lord together. Submitting is yielding, not without wrestling. Women, you have a voice. This is good. You have opportunity, of course, to speak in and make decisions and discern together as a couple what that looks like with discernment from the Lord. Are you with me, church? I think some women come into it with the assumption of, so I zip my mouth. I ne- no, that's not submitting. Submitting is yielding, which leads to the last thing. It is submitting, not agreeing with everything. Women, there will be times when you just flat do not agree, but you yield anyway. Even when we moved down here to St. Charles, Heidi still did not want to go. But I was finally like, now is the time we will go. And she followed, and a few weeks later, she was like, this is, this is pretty awesome. This is biblical submission. Now, I texted uh, a few women here, and uh, I won't say their names, but I'll say their initials. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> and I asked them, why is that hard? 
if I'm a man, I'm a man, all right? I'm a man. And I, I look at that. And I'm like, that's pretty hard. That's pretty difficult. Tonight's part one, women, keep coming back, okay? Because you'll see how our role is difficult as well. Really difficult. But this is hard, man. So I asked uh, several women, why is it hard? Here's what they said. At times my sinful nature is to serve myself. It's all about me. So essentially what she's saying is that to follow my man would be not to serve myself. So there's no way I want to be a part of that. Another woman said, sometimes I feel like I know more about something than he does. I would say that's pretty often in our marriages, you know? You're, you're, you're clear. My wife has a master's degree, okay? You know, and she, does, she definitely doesn't throw it uh, in my face, except in times when we're talking about GPA. Hey, Mark, what was your GPA in college again? Oh, yeah, I have my master's degree, right? Another woman said this, when he is not leading spiritually or he is being irrational, Again, uh, quite often. This is, uh, this is an interesting one. This person said, because he lets me be the boss. And this one says, a fear or a lack of trust of both God and my husband. Let me say it this way. A wife's submission is a powerful expression of her trust in God. A wife's submission is a powerful expression of her trust in God. Now, this is very difficult, but it gets beautiful when through the difficulty, women yearn for their role so much so that they love sitting in their role. In fact, they see the role as a blessing. Whew, I don't have to lead this mug. I can sit back and let him lead, even at times he may lead us astray. Still, he's the one responsible. He's the one held accountable. He's the one whose role God will look down and say, this is your responsibility to lead your marriage. Women, one more question, and then we're going to get back to the text. How will you teach your daughters about this biblical role? Are you teaching them? Are you teaching your kids what it looks like to be a submissive wife? So much so that your your kids are learning what it looks like to sit underneath the authority, the leadership of the man of the house, the pastor of the house. And Peter is writing to guys who aren't pastors, but they're unbelieving. And he says, still submit. Now, there's more implications. We're going to get there in a second. But look back in 1 Peter. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, but by the conduct of their wives, when they see respectful and pure conduct. To those uh, in this particular situation, uh, there are some uh, even close to me here who are believing wives and have unbelieving husbands. This scripture says, don't be the nagging Christian track wife. Uh, hey, 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 babe, um, I, you know, here's another track this week for you. And, you know, you slide it under his breakfast bowl in your hopes that as he eats his cereal, he's like, oh, Jesus, you know, this is good. No, don't, 
Peter's saying, don't be that wife. Be the wife that what? What is he saying? What does he escalate? Be the wife that submits. The picture is that in your submission, you reveal the gospel. How? Because that's what Christ did. Christ came, submitted himself, was obedient to the Father, even to death on a cross. Do you get that picture? So biblical, even marital submission becomes a true portrayal of women getting the gospel. I'm following Jesus. He submitted so I can submit and trust that God is sovereign and he's working it out, even if my husband's a knucklehead. Do you get it? If you're the one that's sitting around saying, well, you know, which way is he going to take us? He's only going to take you in a direction that God will allow him to take you. And I'm not saying every single one of those will be great. But friends, we all sit underneath the sovereignty of God. And so in Peter's context, he says, submit, even if it's to unbelieving husbands. So the question then becomes, what does this mean for all of us? Let's, uh, let's start with a, a single female here, okay? Single females. just want to talk to you guys for a moment. When I'm training and looking at church planters, do a lot of Acts 29 assessments. In fact, I was in New York to be trained to be a church planting coach. The question I always ask when I sit down with guys who are saying they're called to plant a church, the question I say, uh, women here, the, qu- the question I ask is, would I take my family and follow that guy? Single women here, it's time to be extremely patient. And any man that comes along and starts to win your attention like some females so easily give into because they bat the eye, they bring the flowers, they seem like a good Christian boy. Let me tell you this, if they seem like a good Christian boy, a boy is probably what they are. It's probably what they are. It's time single women, all the single ladies, right? It's time, right? It's time to be patient and ask yourself the same question I ask church planters. Could I follow this guy? When you get married, you're going to be following this guy for the rest of your life. And you have a phenomenal opportunity. You're not married yet. There's no vows exchanged. You have a brilliant chance to sit back and wait for the Christian God-man stallion to come by and show you that he can lead you, not by word but by deed. And that's the thing. Because good Christian boys, oh, they, they know the rhetoric. They grew up in Sunday school. Oh, hey, baby, you know? Oh, you want to read some scripture together, you know? And yet they never do. They don't know how to open the Bible. They don't know how to teach theology. They don't know how to expose the scriptures. Mark, are you saying that single dudes should know these things? I'm saying to lead a woman. That's what it takes. It takes opening the word of God and pleading the throne of God with your woman. Seeking the Lord together. That's what a true... So, single women here, would you be patient? Could we not make this church a single hookup place where people come to church and raise a hand once in a while and then look across the aisle? Interesting. Could we not be that church? Could we be single... Could you be single women here who are saying, I will wait until God brings the man that can lead me. And when you can sit back and by his deeds, you can say, I can follow that man, then maybe that's the man that you're to follow. Are you with me? Are you with me, single ladies? Yeah. 
single dudes. <laughs> um, the reality is, as many of you single guys in here, you're single because you've screwed something up. Some of you, okay? You've taken a woman's heart and you've just, you've just shredded it. You grabbed it by your hand, controlling, manipulating, conniving to get what you desired under the premise of Christianity even at times. And then when you got what you so desired, you grabbed that, ha- that, that heart and you threw it down. Single men, listen, the awesome thing about you being single is that you have time to repent. The greatest thing about being a single guy is you have time to repent. You have time to prepare. You have time to understand the seriousness of the role of leading a relationship. You've got time, so take it. Use it. Sit under stronger men in this church. Sit under some of the guys who have been married for 20 plus years. Ask them what it looks like to lead a woman. Get out of your mama's house. If you're 25, 26, 27, 28 years old, get out of the house. Get an apartment by yourself. Start making a living on your own. This is a tough thing to hear, I know, guys, but this is men taking responsibility. Now, obviously, there will be certain situations where there has to be exceptions, of course. And some of you help your family. provide. I understand that. I get that. That's fine. But you as a single guy have a great opportunity to own it, repent, change, and prepare. Single men, are you with me? You've got that chance to take it. Dating women. Uh, Women in here who are dating. Oh, we're just talking. Okay, whatever. Right? Okay. We just text Facebook. Right? The implications here are clear. If he is not leading you now, why do you think marriage changes everything? Too many women believe this. Why? Why do they think, if I can just marry the guy then he's going to be the leader that I've always wanted him to be. It doesn't work that way. God's grace sometimes works that way, but natural human hormones don't work that way. If you think that marrying your guy is going to change your guy, you have the wrong perception of your guy. If he's not leading you now, get out. Run as far as you can. Well, Mark, what do you mean by, by leading me now? Even in the dating relationship, If he's not opening the word with you, studying the scriptures with you, always asking you how he can be pleading for you, and then grabs your hands, and even though he may be uncomfortable praying out loud, pleads for you, and you get the sense that your man sits over there in the corner at times and just prays for you. If you have that sense, praise God. And if not, why would you settle? Why would you settle? Why would you give in to the attention, females? Why would you let some punk Christian boy who says he's going to lead you continue to misguide you? Get out. If you're a dating female here and your guy isn't leading you to the cross of Christ, I'm telling you, you do not have the power to change him and you can't sit around and wait for him to be changed. Because every day that goes by is another day when your heart beats as a great daughter of the king. And if you're my daughter, and my daughter will date at some point when she's 30, right? And trust me, 
that, that dude that shows up at my house, and I don't want this to sound cliche because we hear, you know, and the shotguns come out, whatever. It'll be a bazooka, you know? <laughs> and listen, and I, and I mean this when I say this, that man will have to sit down at my table and he'll have to convince me, not just once or twice, but over months of time, that he knows the word of God and that he desires to cherish my daughter that he desires to cherish my daughter like Father God does and like I do. And if you're a woman in here that isn't being cherished like that by your dating relationship, why are you hanging in there? Single, uh, dating women, have the courage to get out. Have the courage. Dating men. You have, um, you have led your female to believe a particular thing about yourself. And you've gotten to this place where you, you, you feel like, in some senses, uh, you own her. Uh, if you're a man here and you're dating and, and you're hearing these things and you're the one that's not leading well, I would pray that you have the courage to hear from your woman it's over. And I would pray that you would have the courage to go to her and say it's over because I can't lead you yet. And if you're a dating man in here and your relationship is driven by sex, by premarital union, repent now. Stop letting pornography drive your fantasies about what can happen in the marriage bed. Some of you guys know this story, but Heidi and I were virgins when we got married, and after we consecrated our marriage, we wept in worship. That picture that God gives us is not some idealistic image. It's powerful. It's worship. Many of you have struggled. Repent now. Go to your woman and ask forgiveness there's some women in your life that you have led down that path, you've taken advantage of, you've grabbed their hearts and you've ripped it. Go and ask for forgiveness from them. I'm so sorry that I led you down this path and I took it. I'm so sorry. Be sincere. Prepare your heart. Dating men have the courage to let the woman go so that you can prepare yourself to lead her, to lead other women. And until you can look at God's daughters, and not see them for objects, but you see them as daughters of the king, that is when you know you're ready. Uh, lastly, married women. My encouragement is this. From tonight, could you own submission? Could you own it so much that we become a church where women are just encouraging one another in the concept of submission? How are you doing at submitting and following your husband? Instead of, yeah, that idiot tried to do this and that in our little women's circles, we downgrade our husbands. When will the women, and maybe they already are, and I'm not there because I don't do all the women things, when will the women be the ones who aren't downgrading their husbands to other women, but rather are saying, let's plead for our men. Let's plead for them. 
Let's get together just to pray that they will lead us well. What would it look like for this church to facilitate such a concept of submission that women would get excited about it? And when I started doing marriage counseling, you know what I would start hearing from women in this church? I can't wait to follow him. What would that look like? What kind of perception would be changed there? I believe the scripture then would be the dominating ingredient and flavor for our picture of relationships. Are you with me? Women own it. Very difficult. Own it. Cherish it. Yearn for more of it. Ask where God can give you great wisdom. And finally, married men. A lot of men ask me, so Mark, how, how, how do I lead my wife? Do I just rule over her? Do I write the Ten Commandments of our marriage and put them on the fridge and hope for the best? Peter says you do what Christ did. You sacrifice. You sacrifice. Christ gave up his life out of the romance of the church. The scripture portrays this great wedding and the bride and the bridegroom will be reunited. It's the romance of Christ in the church. Men, that's what it looks like to lead your women as you romance them like Christ loved the church. You sacrifice. You give up yourself for your wife and your kids. And you lead your family daily to the throne. Babe, I will screw this up, but Christ won't. I will mess this up, but Jesus never does. And so we have to keep going to the throne of grace because he won't lead us astray. He won't lead us astray. That's what true biblical male leadership looks like. Christ won't lead us astray. Let's go to him. Let's go to him. Let's go to him. Tonight, we must repent, all of us, of our lack of the hurt we've caused of the lack of courage and the distrust that we've embraced. And I'm praying tonight that God begins, as we begin this process for two more weeks, of breaking us so that he can grow us. And that in this church community, we can become women on mission and men on mission and relationships on mission. That's a Christ-centered, gospel-focused church.